60 transitioners, 12 experts with decades of clinical practice, 45 peer-reviewed medical and journalist articles cited. There's yet another documentary on the medical ethics of gender-affirming care. It's called Affirmation Generation, and it's another powerful documentary that pushes back on the transgender ideology and the harm it's doing to our young people and to our culture. Let's check it out. So I think the good news is that a tipping point has been reached. There are more and more documentaries featuring medical professionals and detransitioners who are raising the red flag about the transgender agenda. And today I want to highlight yet another one. This new 90-minute documentary, it features six ex-transgender men and women, Michelle, Laura, Kat, David, Abel and Joel. Without diagnostic clarity or treatment of their comorbidities, these individuals were ushered mindlessly by their doctors towards wrong sex hormones and surgeries. And after a while, each of them detransitioned. There's 12 leading experts in mental health, pediatrics, sociology and endocrinology with decades of clinical practice. And they argue that gender affirming care is a radical departure from how we treat any other distress. Because the patient, no matter how young they are or how unwell they are, dictates to the medical expert what he or she wants. So who are the filmmakers? Well, the appearance of rapid onset gender dysphoria kids, medical doctors, a lifelong gay activist and a mental health professional, uh, and are also veterans in the film business. And they say, for a few years, we the parents were shell of our former selves, shocked and shattered. So we created a documentary to tell the stories of six detransitioners. This passion project is funded entirely out of our own pockets, and now we need your help to unleash it onto the world. End quote. And who are the people they hope will watch the documentary? Well, it's who you'd expect, parents and families, doctors, mental health professionals, politicians and elected representatives at every level, and leaders in education, school board members, principals, teachers, social workers, PTA members. So in this episode of McBlog, I just want to check out a couple of clips, and then I'll give you the link to watch the full documentary when it's available. Interestingly, it was pulled down off Vimeo when it first launched, yep, censored, but then Vimeo allowed it back up. How nice and thoughtful of them. So I'll put that link. But firstly, let's check out a couple of clips. Firstly, puberty blockers. Are they safe? The Ministry of Health in New Zealand makes out they are. So it's often said that puberty blockers are uh, reversible, but um, this, I think, is disingenuous on multiple levels. So the first is that uh, the majority of uh, children who are started on puberty blockers, over 95%, go on to take cross-sex hormones. Uh, because of the, they are the first step in sequential treatment pathway, uh, puberty blockers cannot be considered a standalone intervention. So the way the Endocrine Society breaks this down, they state very clearly that estrogen for males carries a very high risk of blood clots and then a moderate risk of breast cancer, heart disease, stroke, gallstones, and elevated uh, triglycerides, which are a type of cholesterol. And then right from the same document, they list the risks of testosterone for females very high risk of uh, thickening of the blood and then a moderate risk of severe liver dysfunction, heart disease, stroke, high blood pressure, and breast or uterine cancer. Yeah, and of course the infertility is a big issue as well. Young people are throwing away their fertility uh, in pursuit of this ideology. Look, are children, young teens, being told all these risks? 
and it's clear that puberty blockers is not so a child can take time to consider their decision, as we're told. They clearly are a springboard to much more radical treatment, such as top surgery, the cutting off of healthy body parts, a mastectomy as part of the process for females to trans to male. Uh, this clip is Michelle. She wanted to be a man, so she had top surgery. Watch her reaction at the end. Okay, so I haven't made a vlog in a really long time, just because, I don't know, I've been busy, things have been happening, and I wanted, well, I did want to make one, but I was told that I had to make one after I came back from Florida, because I went down to Florida, obviously, uh, to see Dr. Garamoni to do my top surgery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what to say, really. Um. Yeah, so much regret. She's watching a decision she made that she'll always regret. Uh, has this type of medical approach to a psychological problem ever happened before? Have we responded to a mental health issue with surgery, cutting at healthy parts? Well, yep, actually. Uh, the documentary talks about lobotomies. The only other time that I can think of that we addressed some psychological problem with a physical intervention was um, with lobotomies. And, uh, you know, lobotomy was a surgery that was performed that severed the corpus callosum. And it was very popular at the time. It was hailed as a kind of miracle cure. And the person who invented the procedure won a Nobel Prize. But we discovered that these procedures did a lot of damage. And, uh, you know, they fell out of favor pretty shortly after they came on the scene. And now we think of it as pretty barbaric. Yeah, and that's that rapid onset. There has been a big growth, especially around teens identifying uh, as the opposite sex. Now, as we heard from the transgender clinic whistleblower last week, one of the key pressures on parents and on anyone expressing concerns about this agenda is that if you don't affirm the transgender agenda, you'll cause the suicide of a child. Better to have a trans son than a dead daughter. But is this true? And who did that research? All of this is based on the fear that if you don't affirm a child's identity right away, they're going to be at a high risk of suicide. We're living in an age where there's the whole, do you want a dead daughter or a live son thing going on, right? And parents are being intimidated and coerced into, um, if you don't affirm right away, your kid's going to commit suicide. Well, that's a really dangerous thing to tell people. There's a real dereliction of duty and irresponsible behaviors that people have been misrepresenting the, the data on suicide. All of the clinicians that are actually tracking current rates of self-harm and suicide will tell you, luckily, the suicide rate is quite, quite, quite low. And it's not a legitimate uh, outcome. And that we don't know medicalizing reduces suicide. You know, doctors have really been transmitting this information in a forceful, authoritative way. Puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones will provide relief from depression and anxiety and uh, suicidal thoughts. and reduce the future risk of suicide, um, etc. cetera. Uh, but uh, the reality is that these interventions have not been shown to uh, do those things. 
In the United States, there are 22 professional organizations that have lined up behind gender affirmation. And these professional organizations are putting a thumb on the scale, not only by silencing their own members, but by stifling debate in the medical journals. For example, in 2020, the official journal of the American Academy of Pediatrics, called Pediatrics, published a study by Jack Turbin, a young psychiatrist, and he basically data mined a massive online survey to try to show that puberty blockers prevent suicides. This is convenient sample data and it cannot prove any sort of cause and effect, but he made that claim and it was written up in all the major media. And we found out later that Dr. Turbin had received a substantial grant from a drug company that makes puberty blockers. He hadn't disclosed that. When um, researchers wrote to pediatrics about all the errors in the study, each of them was told there was no space to publish their rebuttals. You know, in order oh, how surprising. And look, just continuing this theme, here's the comments from Dr. Michael Biggs from Oxford University, but he's actually a Kiwi. Uh, so a Kiwi's in this documentary, and uh, he was recently in the country. Listen to his comments. The evidence that's most often cited comes from these surveys where they just ask kids about suicidality, and, the, and there's lots of problems with that, that evidence, because of course kids think if you're trans, you have to be suicidal. Girls taking testosterone are less likely to express suicidality which makes sense because actually testosterone is an antidepressant. We know we can use it in men as an antidepressant, but boys taking estrogen uh, are more like more suicidal. And of course, if the kids believe that this is life-saving medical treatment, you're getting a massive placebo response. I've actually done research on the world's largest youth gender clinic in London, known as the Tavistock, to investigate the actual number of deaths by suicide. Out of 15,000 patients over 10 years, They've had four suicides. Now, those are four terrible tragedies, of course, but as you can see, suicide, thankfully, is very, very rare. Now, the suicide rate for, pa for these patients is higher than the overall population, perhaps five or six times higher, but we can't conclude that this elevated risk is directly related to transgender identity because many of these kids have other psychological conditions that we know increase the risk of suicide, like depression, eating disorders, and autism. The crucial question, of course, is whether puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones reduce or increase the actual risk of suicide. And the honest answer is that we don't, we just don't know because we lack good quality evidence. For what it's worth, of the four suicides at the Tavistock, two came from patients on the waiting list and two from patients undergoing treatment. So there's no evidence that taking cross-sex hormones reduces the risk of suicide. It's just not true that these kids are more likely to complete a suicide if they're not given these interventions. And in fact, there was a study looking at the Swedish population of those who had transitioned that found that those who had transitioned had suicide rates 19 times higher than population matched controls. Now, that's not saying that transition causes suicidality, and there's lots of different ways to understand that. And I don't know that we can draw hard and fast conclusions from that number, but I think it certainly tells us that transition doesn't prevent suicide. Yeah, interesting. It's the facts that we're not getting in New Zealand in the debate. And now, except for the USA and also except for New Zealand, much of the rest of the world is waking up to the harms of this agenda. And, and part of the reason is that they're realizing that social transition, you know, the preferred pronouns, uh, et cetera, is leading to medical transition. Uh, and by the way, in this clip that we're just about to watch, you'll hear reference to WPATH. Now, WPATH is the international group of activists, I've talked about this earlier, that sets the standard and policy for New Zealand through the Radical Gender Unit at Waikato University, the Trans Health Research Lab. We're getting wider stuff with the rest of the world every day. There are several progressive countries 
the, the ones that like pioneered pediatric gender transition and they are reconsidering what they've been doing. Sweden was the first country to recognize, you know, the legal status of trans people. And they just issued new guidelines where they say gender transitioning of minors should only be done for exceptional cases and in tightly controlled clinical studies. And there are no studies going on right now. Um, Finland did the similar thing two years ago. In the last 12 months, we've heard from the French Academy of Medicine, the Australian psychiatrists and the Italian psychoanalysts all expressing concern. So all of these changes, or at least in Sweden, Finland, and England, followed a commissioned systematic review of the evidence, which found either no benefits to youth gender transitions or even that the harms outweighed the benefits. Yeah, and you know, this is the interesting aspect is that you have these uh, medical groups that are pushing this agenda, but why are there so many grassroots medical professionals sounding the alarm, including many doctors in New Zealand who submitted against the effect of the conversion therapy law, which could can ban effective counselling for gender-confused young people. So why are the medical groups supporting it, but the grassroots doctors are starting to oppose it? Well, here's the reason. The American Academy of Pediatrics National Conference and Exhibition is being held this year in Anaheim, California. With over 10,000 doctors attending, a group took the opportunity to come as well. So the way that the American Academy of Pediatrics is supposed to represent the 66,000 pediatricians that are their members is via this thing called an annual leadership forum. Members can submit resolutions and then the membership can read them and vote on them online, but the binding vote is made at the leadership forum, which is just people who are chapter presidents and heads of committees and things like that. I submitted a resolution in 2020 and it was largely ignored, but then another pediatrician submitted a resolution in 2021 calling for a systematic review of the evidence behind pediatric gender transition. And that, because of the pandemic, they had it online and it got a lot of engagement. It was in the top five in terms of pediatrician engagement and it was four to one positive versus negative votes. And then in 2022, they were so concerned that that sort of thing might happen again, that in March, they passed a new rule saying that unsponsored resolutions could not be seen by the rank and file pediatricians. So I did submit another resolution in 2022. There were four other pediatricians who co-authored it with me, but it got buried. Nobody could give it a yes or no vote and very few could even read it. So it's important to realize that when we hear 22 professional organizations support affirmation, this is not the voice of the average pediatrician. It's the position of a few activists that have captured key committees at these medical societies and are using the bureaucracy to ensure the voice of regular pediatricians isn't heard. Ah, that explains a lot. So grassroots doctors are being ignored and activists are capturing key positions in these organizations. Uh, and I'm sure you may know an organization where that is happening. Look, it's time to get involved and it's time to push back. These detransitioners and doctors are finally finding their voice and it can't happen soon enough. And if you know examples in New Zealand, please contact us. But check out the website. Uh, it's affirmationgenerationmovie.com. There's a toolbox of parents there. And I'll put a link to the documentary in the description section to this episode. Watch the documentary and then please speak up.